Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where you live by the three, you die by the three. Or as the Warriors would put it, you live by the pool, you drown in the pool. And actually, the Warriors, for the most part, lived by the three and kept living, but it kind of didn't matter when the best defensive big man in all of basketball dropped 30, 20, 5, 4 on their heads and played the whole second half to lead the Lakers to a 1-0 Game 1 win to start the second round against the Golden State Warriors. Home court advantage stolen. Fun stat. When facing the Warriors in the playoffs, LeBron James has lost Game 1 every single time. Until last night when he wasn't the best player on the court. It's a new era, and the Lakers are now 11 wins away from a championship. Nuts. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, Lakers won 117-112 to steal Game 1 in Oakland in a wild, exciting, complete Clash of Styles type of game that came up Lakers. Quick vibe check, on a scale of 1-2 lit... How you feeling? Um, I'm feeling pretty lit. I'm feeling pretty litty. So <laughs> I sound like the Angela Russell there. I'm feeling pretty litty, Mikey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so did you know that stat that LeBron James has lost game one every single time to the Warriors in the playoffs? I, d- I didn't know the stat, but it doesn't surprise me because apparently in the Steve Carrera, they're like 19 and two in game one. So that's <laughs> not that surprising. Yeah, no, but it's wild that LeBron James finally wins a game one against the Warriors. And like I mentioned, he's not the best player, right? How the tides have turned. Um, But Tommy, to extrapolate a little bit more on our vibe check, I am very proud and impressed with this Lakers team because I feel like ever since the game two loss at Memphis and a couple in-game lapses notwithstanding, for the most part, the Lakers have approached the start of games with a locked-in and focused mentality that I haven't seen since the start of the championship season. And I'm not even sure what to make of it. It's hard for me to actually buy it. But it, but at this point, we're looking at seven straight games of them being really locked in now. And that includes even the Game 5 loss in Memphis, which I thought was tactically lost in the third quarter. But yeah, I guess continuing the vibes talk, how are you feeling about this Lakers team in general? Are you trying to quell your excitement or, or what's going on? I'm definitely trying to quell my excitement, but I will say, I i mean, it's just objective. Obviously, we have the blinders on, right? There's obviously the subjective component. We were fans and we we're going to, you know, support our team. But I, I feel like if anything, like, especially when you get to this level of fandom, you know, like psychosis level of fandom, you start to be hypercritical of your team. And, you know, I think if anyone's listened to this pod or, you know, followed us over the years, we are the first people to stand up and and say, like, these are all the problems. Um, I just don't see, I mean, like, look, no team is, you know, factoring in that no team is perfect. This team feels very strong. I haven't been watching the, candidly, I haven't been watching the East uh, playoff series very closely. But from what I've seen on the West teams, like, I it looks like Denver's probably going to handle Phoenix pretty easily. But, I mean, I don't think... Phoenix would have, you know, been much of a competition. I mean, we still have to get past the Warriors, but I guess what I'm saying is, like, we are certainly in the conversation for being, you know, among the top three teams in the West, which, to me, makes you, like, a serious contender. So I've just been really impressed that, like, they took that momentum, right? Because we've seen this in the past where, like, Lakers teams, I think we remember the Kobe run where he tore his Achilles at the end of the season, but, you know, he, like, really, really push that team to get into the playoffs. And then they didn't have anything left. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously Kobe injury was a factor there, but you know, you kind of felt like, okay, this team was playing for in desperation mode for so long. Like how long can they maintain it? And, you know, they had their ups and downs, but look pretty good overall against Memphis. And I mean, golden state played a very, they played a good game and we went on their home court in game one with all their history. And, I mean, the final score was closer, in my opinion, than I thought the game was. We had some stupid mistakes, Mm -hmm. but it like we controlled basically that entire game. No, yeah, I agree with you. So light years, say hello to lit years. Um, (laughs) Let's start with this. 
What was a highlight play of the game for you personally, whether it was like a defensive play, offensive play? I mean, I guess we can start here because Delo's banker after the air ball three <laughs> to pretty much close the game. It was the only Lakers field goal in the last five minutes of the game, and Delo essentially broke a 14-0 run. So we can't use Delo as our example, but I just want to give him props for that shot because... It was arguably the biggest shot of the game. It was the last go-ahead bucket. It was definitely bucket. the biggest shot. Yeah. It was, it, true. And the fact that LeBron and AD didn't have anything going for them and D'Lo flashed to the middle and then took it to Andrew Wiggins, that was huge. And also, I want to add that there is some like ironic poetry in that shot because D'Lo was traded for Andrew Wiggins, right? Yeah, definitely. He used to play on the Warriors, and he did it in chase center arguably he may have been fouled on that play with andrew wiggins botting him up but he hit that banker and the rest was history from there so apart from the d-low clutch shot uh what was a personal play of the game for you that stood out i think one play that stood out um i thought of two actually because i wasn't sure if you're gonna have me go first (laughs) so i didn't (laughs) want to use the same one i do this too yeah the one I will, uh, the one I'll go with is I, I think it's like you know in in a quick highlight reel it maybe wouldn't get a lot of play it wasn't like the flashiest thing that happened but it sort of exemplifies like why this team is having so much success right now you know namely because of the dominance of Anthony Davis and I'm thinking of like the semi transition play where like Wiggins is coming down the floor mm-hmm. and AD like makes a swipe to try to strip the ball <laughs> and in the same motion run. I mean, this is like when you, fr- you kind of forget that this dude is like six ten with like a seven, whatever wingspan and like is running like stride for stride with a wing, like a very, very athletic wing, you know, makes the strip attempt, doesn't get the strip and in the same motion jumps up and rejects the shot while like running in the opposite direction. It was just like so crazy. Um, and I think that, you know, sort of exemplifies his dominance in this playoffs. He's averaging over four blocks a game. Um, you know, we're seven now seven games into the playoffs. So, I mean, this dude is just making things impossible for opponents in, in the paint. And I just, when you see stuff like this, it's like the media should be ashamed that this guy does not have like a defensive player of the year award. Like it's, you can, you can give it to Gobert. Tommy, he didn't get a single vote for defensive player of the year. Yeah. And it's like, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. wins the award and he played in more <laughs> games, but like he played in less minutes or like maybe marginally more minutes than AD did this season. Um, So like, it's like, it's just sort of funny. It's like AD gets this bad rap. I think what he missed like 25 games or 26 games this year, which when you look around the league at these other stars, it's like, that's not that different. And again, when you factor minute versus minute, like he played nearly as many minutes as the guy who won the award. So it's, it's embarrassing that he was not even in the discussion because when he is playing, I, I just don't see, you know, you get these like gimmicky guys like Dylan Brooks who like beat everybody up on the perimeter, Draymond who beat everybody up, right? And then you get like Gobert who's like the analytics, like, you know, um, pick. And then you get like Jaron Jackson who's like, he's really good. Don't get me wrong. He's a fantastic defender, but you know, he is clearly like the, well, we don't want to give it to Gobert anymore, you know, kind, kind of pick. And then <laughs> it's just like 80 somehow got glossed over in all of this and he is objectively like for the modern NBA like it's hard to imagine a better defensive player than him yeah and I will say it has worked out in our favor because I think AD's taking it personally and we'll get into AD more later but yes that AD no look block on Wiggins where his back was completely turned after trying to swipe it was insane and I had to look this up because I wasn't sure what the which street fighter character this was but do, do you remember Dalzim in Street Fighter, he's the guy who yeah. has multiple arms, like the long arms. That's nice who AD it. reminds me of. It just seems like he has extra arms coming out of nowhere to block or steal or rebound the ball. So he was incredible this game. Um, my play of the game, that AD block was one of them, obviously, but I came up with two. My play of the game, this may be a hipstery sort of pick, but my play of the game would be fourth quarter around the seven-minute mark. I forget who hits him with it, but... Vanderbilt's open on the baseline and he just nails this three-pointer to put us up by 10 and I feel like at that point that was sort of a backbreaker for the Golden State Warriors and kind of instilled in us like oh we're probably gonna win this game even if there's like a crazy 14-0 Golden State run which there was 
us being up 10 points like midway through the fourth quarter, I think really solidified the belief in us that, yo, let's take this all the way. And the fact that it was Vanderbilt who had been left wide open the entire game, nailing that shot. And the same Vanderbilt, by the way, who was running laps around with Steph Curry. I think that was just a huge play. Um, Now let's get into the macro parts of this game, uh, Tommy. So what a what a insane sort of back and forth clash of styles game the lakers only had eight turnovers which is kind of rare for them although they had been taking care of the ball even against memphis the warriors only had eight turnovers this is very rare for them they were dead last in the season with regards to turnovers the Warriors also tied a franchise record in three-pointers made, hitting 21, and they shot 39%. That's pretty crazy. And obviously, the Lakers game plan for that a little bit. But on top of that, Clay, Curry, and Poole all hit six threes, whereas the Lakers as an entire team only hit six. And the Lakers still won. If we hadn't showed you the final score... I think the Warriors pretty much hit upon every single checkpoint that they wanted to hit. And I think Kerr would tell you the same. They even matched us rebounding-wise, I believe. I don't think we out-rebounded them by a ton. But yeah, just what a wild game. Obviously, we have to mention Anthony Davis. He's the fourth player in Lakers playoff history to put up 30, 20, and 5, along with Shaq, Wilt, and Elgin defensively, the Lakers in in totality, along with Vanderbilt and Schroeder and LeBron James, defensively, they took all the other guys out of the game and focused on Clay and Steph, and I think that was the right move. Um, even with Clay and Steph running hot, we still held Clay and Steph to 19 of 49 shooting, and Steph was 10 of 24 and had five turnovers. I think the one guy that we didn't account for was Jordan Poole, and I I still think the game plan is to let Jordan Poole be Jordan Poole, kind of like how we did with Dylan Brooks. But obviously, you have to stick on him a little bit better and not let him get hot. And I think it came back to bite the Warriors in the end with that 35-footer that he took, although he was open. Um, But I think the other Warriors seemed psyched out and shell-shocked and couldn't do anything for themselves with the way that the Lakers were sort of selling out for Clay and Steph. I think that will change in game two when they realize how much space the Lakers are giving them and how much more they can do to attack the paint. And I'm speaking more to Andrew Wiggins. But the Lakers threw the kitchen sink at stopping Curry and Clay, and the Warriors kind of fed into that plan, even though, again, they had great three-point shooting games. Um, Other tidbits, Lakers played 80 the entire second half. I thought that was a ballsy move, but I think the right one. This was Ham's best coached game. Though, I don't think he should have pulled Vando at the end there. I think he got a little too cute with it. I understand the thought process because Schroeder was there as well. But I think at that point, you just got to switch D'Lo and Schroeder and put D'Lo on pool. And I think the overall game plan of Ham's, which was to sell out to win this game, was the perfect strategy because this is our best opportunity to steal one, to catch the Warriors on their heels after a tough up-and-down seven-game series against the Kings where they only had one day of rest to prepare. I think Ham knew this was our best chance to steal a game, and we pulled it off. And now the pressure is squarely on the Warriors to win game two at home. The Lakers sort of have the benefit of playing with a bit of house money, though I don't want them to have this mentality, but that's just kind of the reality of the situation. Obviously, the Lakers should still go for the jugular in game two, but they can also go back to giving their stars more rest and playing their normal rotations and maybe even try some different things out now that they sort of accomplished their initial mission. But yeah, in in totality, what are your macro thoughts on this game and how the team did? So I actually like thought the strategy was really good. I thought that um, just my opinion, the way that the the, uh, Stan Van Gundy, I forget who was calling the game besides Stan, but the way that the commentators were calling the game on ESPN, I thought was like a little bit misleading because I don't think that the Lakers strategy was okay. The Lakers strategy was obviously like hyper focus on Curry and Thompson. I don't think it was only focused on Curry and Thompson. Like sure. he was getting like, you know, like he, he kept saying like, oh, they're just letting everybody else shoot. Now they were contesting on Wiggins. I think they were trying to contest on pool. They, they weren't leaving him wide open on like his normal shots. I think like, basically if I had to guess what their strategy was, it was like Curry and Thompson. That's like option, you know, that's like priority one, two, three, four, five. Right. And then like, 
We also want to contest on Wiggins. We also want to close out on Poole. We also want to close out on DiVincenzo. For some reason, like Jeff, uh, uh, Jamichael Green, Jamichael Green was I thought left open a little bit too much. Yeah, um, but that could have just been the matchup with AD. Like AD prefers to roam around the rim, and he's not going to step out all the time against Jamichael. But you know, I I don't think the strategy moving forward is to let Poole shoot wide open shots. Like they know that he's volatile, and although he had a really poor series, like. He can do this type of thing, and he's bound to have one or two games like this in the course of a series, maybe even three, right? So I, I it's nice in a way that we got that out of the way, uh, meaning him having a big game and we still won. Um, so, so that was like, you know, a positive. But I think, you know, big macro thoughts, this team has a very, very clear sense of what Golden State wants to do offensively. And, you know, they are taking advantage of, the you know sort of on both ends you really sort of see them taking advantage of like what are their strengths like their strengths on defense are we'll give up some perimeter shots but you're not getting anything in the paint their strengths on offense are you can play your small guard lineups we're going to send lebron and ad to the post and it's going to be interesting to see what golden state counters with in the next game but you know we in this game were super super locked in and frankly you know like i sort of I think previewed, maybe this was right before we got online, but I actually think we did not play a perfect game. Like we didn't play Mm. this like game six against Memphis. um, And we still won on the road at Golden State in game one. So that leaves me pretty encouraged. Um, And I think moving forward, you know, like Clay is going to have games the series where he's unguardable. Curry is going to have games where he scores over 40 and he's unguardable. Um, if we can limit guys like Poole, um, Wiggins, you know, uh, I guess those are the only other two guys who kind of had, you know, provided some scoring in the last game. If we can hold those guys off, I think we should be fine. Um, and, and so, you know, because of that, I just, you know, I kind of thought this going into the series too, but we just like, we do match up really well against this team. Yeah, I agree. I think the one factor, the one swing factor is how well we can hold up fatigue wise and gas wise because we really again we really sold out ad played all of the second half this series is every other game right which is not what we had in the memphis series and you know the warriors are also kind of old but at the same time yeah i'm just worried that we make at some point there's going to be a compounding effect with regards to driving AD and even Vanderbilt into the ground and hopefully if that happens LeBron rises to the occasion right so that's my only real worry um I do think the Warriors have some interesting counters including just playing Draymond at the 5 and bringing Poole in to really space out the floor I think you can expect the Warriors to attack the paint more intentionally next game and just diversify their offense because there was a there was a point where I feel like their spirits got broken and it was almost psychosomatic 80s effect on them right and you were seeing Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson like smoke layups and chippies near the rim you know um, and I yep. think they will be more intentional <laughs> intentional about just aggressively driving it maybe even trying to get foul calls I think Gary Payton the second is kind of useless <laughs> in this series, to be honest with you. D'Lo yeah. is bigger than him and is too crafty for him. And yeah, and even Moses Moody too. They're 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 too small. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Anthony Lamb or Jonathan Kaminga all of a sudden come into the fray here. So it's interesting. And can I also just say, like, I I really respect the. Like Darvin Ham, you know, we've we've definitely been at the forefront of criticizing this guy when he's made mistakes, right? But something about the way that he game plans, it's very like Bucks-esque, I guess, like the way that they used to sort of scheme. Like they really have a way, this coaching staff of like dumbing it, like dumbing things down and just like making quality of life improvements. You know what I mean? I don't know if you noticed this. But like every time Gary Payton or almost every time Gary Payton was full court pressing, we just had another guy bring the ball up the court. So if Gary Payton was like full court pressing D'Lo, mm-hmm. don't burn your energy like working this guy one on one, bringing the ball up the court. Just give it to Austin Reeves. Mm-hmm. I feel like we do things like that. You know, the kind of like we are just not going to guard Looney, Draymond and Gary Payton shooting threes. And, you know, we committed to that. And that saves guys legs, you know, when they don't yeah. have to like worry about those types of guys. So. 
I think we did like a really good job with like those types of things on both ends of the court. Like not just like there's a lot of focus on like what we did defensively against the Warriors offense. But I think like what we did offensively against them, like, you know, when AD had the ball and he was being defended by Draymond, he didn't force it. You know, when he had opportunities against Looney, he was more aggressive. You know, same thing with LeBron, like when he was in the post against guys like Draymond Wiggins, he wasn't forcing it. But when he got Curry matched up on him, he took him right to the you know rim or, or Thompson. So I think like guys being smart about that kind of stuff is also going to save legs. Because to your point, like Gary Payton, his like pretty much his sole like value is is locking down one of your good perimeter players. But if we just take that perimeter player off the table while he's on the floor, then he doesn't really do anything for you on either mm-hmm. end, you know? And, and, and we're able to do that because we have so many guards who are playing well right now. And I think like, honestly, I think Schroeder is going to have a Schroeder, I think is going to have a much bigger series against golden state because I think he, you know, he kind of, uh, talked about his injury in the post game last uh, last night about like you know his injuries holding him back in round one, but I really think it's also the physicality. Like Golden State plays very very solid defense, but they're not going to beat Schroeder up like those guards did um, with Memphis. So I think this will be a, yeah. a much better Schroeder series as well. Yeah, no, those are good observations. And again, even when Gary Payton was matched up against D'Angelo Russell, near the end of that first half, D'Angelo Russell took him baseline and just hit a layup over him that he also should have gotten an and one for. You know, D'Angelo's just too tall for this dude. Anyways, we'll take it to break. When we return, let's talk about Anthony Davis, D'Angelo Russell, and get into LeBron James as well, and some of the other guys too. So we will catch you guys after the break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so we are back. One last macro team thought that I wanted to point out, Tommy, is I think for the first time, there's a benefit in the Lakers' non-continuity versus the Warriors' continuity. Do you know what I'm getting at? Um, LeBron James, Tristan Thompson, they faced these Warriors teams, or at least the core of these Warriors teams in Clay, Dre, and Steph, four separate occasions in the finals. They know this Warriors team inside and out. They know the core pieces. Like, LeBron James knows the routes Steph Curry is running. He knows the routes Clay is running. He knows what Dre is going to do. And even if he's not the primary ball handler or even the help ball handler, he's communicating it to these guys, whether it's on the court or during huddles, right? And it's almost a benefit that the Lakers are newly put together and that the Warriors have never faced playoff AD because they have no idea what to make of this new-look Lakers squad. And on top of it, they have no idea what to do with this new look banged up LeBron James, who's a tertiary player and allowing his guards to run the offense. You know, Draymond Green even went on his podcast post game and said it himself. It's weird seeing LeBron James give the ball up and we didn't scheme for that necessarily. It's crazy that Draymond is saying this in his podcast, by the way. But this is one wrinkle that I think is very interesting because it's the first time I'm saying the Lakers' non-continuity is a strength because the Warriors don't know what to do with us. Do you have anything else to add on that point? Um, no, I have nothing else to add. That is funny, though, that Draymond raised that on this podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, in some respects, we don't know what to make of this team yet since we kind of put it together on the fly. But in yeah. this sense, it's helping us out. So here's a breakdown of our team, by the way. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are tied in points, 22.1, 22.1. LeBron is averaging 22, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 1.6 blocks. Anthony Davis, 22 points, 15 rebounds, 2.4 assists, 1.1 steals, 4.3 blocks. D'Angelo Russell is third in scoring, 17 points, 6 assists, 3.6 rebounds. Shooting 44% all of a sudden now. Um, Austin Reeves, uh, fourth in points scored, 15.6, 4.7 assists, 5.3 rebounds. And then Rui Hachimura at 13.3 
points. Obviously, that's dipped in the last few games, but what a very balanced, you know, team, offensively speaking and defensively speaking. And with regards to this game, just want to shout out Reeves because I felt like he started this game off a little bit uppity. Um, It's kind of OC a little bit, but he had a big third quarter for us where he hit two big threes hit a nice bank shot on Curry, then hit LeBron for that sick lob off of like him navigating screens with Anthony Davis and spinning off his own dribble, and then boom, to LeBron James he goes. Um, so shout out to Austin Reeves. That was He was an instrumental part in building that big lead into the fourth quarter. And then as you mentioned, Dennis Schroeder, um, the aggressive scoring version of Schroeder came out, and we very much needed him to do that. 19 points, hit a couple of mid-range jump shots, kept attacking the paint and going downhill, getting foul calls and free throws. And then on the other end, obviously, chased Steph around and really annoyed him. And then the other guy that I really want to highlight and out of the other guys is Vanderbilt because, Tommy, Vando ran like a half marathon last night. And he did. I would love to see like the NBA <laughs> mileage data on that. Dude, it was it was amazing. And even though in the pick and roll, Vando can't keep up as well, I want people to notice the ball denial he did on Steph when he wasn't put in pick and roll. Because that was half the battle. Just shadowing Steph 94 feet of feet of the court and not even letting Steph get the ball or letting Steph cleanly get to a screen that he wanted to get to. And then on top of it, he had that like help side block on Kevon Looney that was insane and Again, he hit that clutch three on the baseline with seven minutes to go in the fourth. And so, yeah, Vanderbilt was incredible. I know there were a lot of people before this series who had doubts about whether or not he could stick on Steph and navigate those screens. But he did about as good a job as you could. And again, you have to focus more on his ball denial on Steph and just making life hard for Steph to even run around cleanly. You know, so any thoughts on Vando? Yeah, I was texting with you about this before, right? But one of the things that always felt like a key loss from the KCP, you know, trade when we had to move him for Russ was, you know, you can't, we used to make fun of KCP a little bit. Famously, we called him the the binary Mamba because yep. he would often, you know, scores his his box scores would be zero one zero one zero one. But um, you know, he he had a very very important function in that like didn't matter the team we were playing, didn't frankly really matter the matchup. Usually, a team has at least one or two like perimeter guys who you know, are, are going to score a decent amount of points for them. And we just didn't have to think about it. Like KCP is on that guy. Like you're playing Jamal Murray. KCP is going to be on that full chasing him 36 minutes a night, you know? So, and, and it never really felt like we had that. I think like getting Vando because of his size and length, I, I, I personally assume like, Oh, he's like our wing defender. And I think the interesting thing or like bigger wing defender is like, he can guard bigger wings, but he's actually better against, perimeter Mm -hmm. players right and if you've seen like the analytics around him like maybe that's not surprising to you but i mean this dude is like six nine chasing steph curry there are like point guards who can't chase steph curry and and he's just using his smarts he's using like the fouls that he's allotted and he's just like he's doing an incredible job and like i said steph curry he scored 27 points he hit six threes his shooting was not that bad it was just a little bit below 50 percent, and he had an overall decent game but like he did have five turnovers and like Vando really made him work for everything he got. And like, you know, to your point earlier, like about, about maybe legs on our side, like the Warriors are coming off a seven game series. Steph Curry is 35 years old. Like they're also going to be playing every other night now. And if Vando is making him work this hard, the longer and longer the series goes, the better it should be for us um, in that sense. And Vando's motor, man, I I keep waiting for the wheels to fall off, but it's not. So let's keep riding it. It's it's just insane. Uh, I, I thought there was one funny moment in the fourth quarter when, you know, Vando supposedly picked up his fifth foul and the Lakers were like, this guy is so important. We're going to go over to the refs and say, give it to AD instead, because you could have called it on either player. Right. So just yeah. shows how important Vanderbilt is to this team. All right, Tommy, let's talk about Anthony Davis. We've already talked about him a little, but then let's give him his little shine and portion in this episode. Because, and we can even go back to the Memphis series since we didn't have you on to talk about the close of this series, but what Anthony Davis is doing right now is like 
a new aged form of bubble AD, Tommy, because it has nothing to do with the offensive end. However good Anthony Davis was offensively in the bubble, he is that much better defensively right now. There are only two players who have recorded 30-plus points, 20-plus rebounds, 5-plus assists, and 4-plus blocks in a playoff game. Tim Duncan and Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis has 30 total blocks through seven games. Anthony Davis, as you mentioned, is averaging 4.3 blocks in the playoffs. The next highest player is Al Horford with 2.3 blocks. And then the next highest player after that is Jaron Jackson with two blocks. Tommy, if you combine Al Horford's 2.3 blocks and Jaron Jackson's two blocks, who sits at third, you get Anthony Davis. <laughs> that, that is That's so insane. nuts. That's so Anthony, Anthony Davis... He looked like he had octopus arms out there. He was disrupting everything. I entitled this episode Everything Everywhere AD at Once for good reason. Anthony Davis's head was on a freaking swivel and he was gobbling up every board with such ferocity and intention. The Warriors were deadly scared of him. And as I mentioned prior, it was almost a psychosomatic issue for them where even if they got a clean look, three feet away from the basket. They were smoking it because they were wondering, is Anthony Davis coming? So any final thoughts on AD's just overall defensive dominance right now? I think the crazy thing about his blocks is like, this he's averaging this amount of blocks with people not trying to challenge like not not intending to challenge him at the rim like everybody knows that AD is the anchor of what has been like probably the most elite overall defense since the trade deadline they're not trying to I mean Memphis I guess was a separate story they were doing some weird stuff but like Golden State certainly knows the matchup they're not trying to like go in there and like challenge Davis and he still just shows up out of nowhere and blocks everything so yeah. his his complete mastery and control of the paint is just is a huge factor I mean and and not just being able to get the four shots but 23 rebounds against Kevon Looney I mean in Looney had his 23 rebounds yeah. and you know he is sort of in his own groove right now and, and like, frankly, having a historic run a little bit with these rebounds. And I will say, again, we he he does get a little away with a little bit on the offensive boards because of um, his reputation at this point. But, mm-hmm. you know, AD will, able to hold him off, like, jumping for rebounds, jumping to block shot. Like, he's just so active right now on that end. And it's just, like, it's very impressive to watch. There are some of these rebounds where kind of like the Andrew Wiggins block where he's turned around where Anthony Davis looks like he's doing ballet out there. He's doing pirouettes in the air for these rebounds. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? It it doesn't seem like the player we witnessed throughout this season. And it's like, man, when AD is right, there's nothing like it, you know? Um, So yeah, kudos to AD. He has been our best player this entire playoff series. And honestly, best player in the last third of the season in general. Okay, so let's talk about D'Angelo Russell. Coming into this series and coming into the last couple games, actually coming into this playoffs in general, D'Angelo Russell had started his playoff career with no games through 9 or 10 games, shooting 45% from the field or higher. So through 10 games, he had shot below 45% in each game. D'Angelo Russell has now shot 45% or higher from the field in three out of his last four games, and he's now shooting 44% in this playoffs in total. So it's kind of amazing what proper slotting does for a guy, right? Um, In this game, D'Angelo Russell, 19 points, six assists, obviously that huge shot at the end. He probably should have had a better game than this because he smoked two open layups, but In the third quarter, D'Angelo Russell did his thing again where he scored the first eight points for the Lakers in the third and then scored or assisted on the first 10 points of the third. And then credit to Darvin Ham for leaving him in with AD to play the entire third quarter and really allow the Lakers to build a lead. The exact opposite of what happened in Memphis Game 5. But D'Angelo Russell, I think at this point, Tommy, you just got to let him run the majority of the half-court offense. And I think they're starting to do that. But especially with LeBron James continuing to be this pedestrian offensively, just give it to D'Lo. You know what I mean? He has the most experience. He's not as rattled and off his game as Austin Reeves sometimes. You can obviously play tandem with both of them. But give LeBron James a semi-transition in transition opportunities. LeBron James is actually playing great off-ball, so keep him off-ball, you know? But let yep. D'Lo run pick and roll with Anthony Davis every single time and let D'Lo 
be aggressive in finding his own shot because when he's aggressive finding his own shot, the offense opens up for us all the way through, and then he can find AD even easier for easy dunks and stuff. And so before you go, there is one thing that I want to talk to you about because it's crazy through seven games that there are still Lakers fans and NBA people in general who have still found D'Angelo Russell to be inconsistent this playoffs, and they have wondered whether D'Angelo Russell could even play in this series against the Warriors, even though they just saw Malik Monk play. Anyways, I, I don't know what it is about D'Angelo Russell. He's just a, still to this day, he is still such a polarizing figure. But to address his inconsistency, I think people are too focused on the scoring aspect of D'Angelo Russell's game and the inefficiency aspect of it. And obviously, he will always have his defensive lapses. That's just who he is. He's also not a superstar. But what he is doing is exactly what the team needs him to do when they need him to do it. I'm sorry that D'Angelo Russell's production is coming in two to three spurts a game and not evenly spaced out like six points in each quarter. Like, but who does that? You know, I feel like that's what some people expect D'Angelo Russell to do. He's being, in, he's, he's too inconsistent because, you know, he just needs to have a full 48 minute game. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Just because he scores nine straight points at the end of the fourth does not mean he had a good full 48-minute game. You know, I, I, I sort of get what they're getting at, but people have to understand that on this team, D'Angelo Russell has to follow a set pecking order behind LeBron James and Anthony Davis and sometimes Austin Reeves. So even if he wanted to, it's still hard for him to find an offensive flow and rhythm for himself to start games off because these other guys need touches first. Now, I think the team and him are getting behind the fact that actually we should get D'Angelo Russell going to start games and then it opens everything up. And we started to see that the last few games, including the 31 point game against Memphis in game six. But it's it's just funny to me that people have called D'Angelo Russell inconsistent when D'Angelo has consistently gone on one to two huge stretches each game where he scores and play makes in bunches when the Lakers offense has stalled. D'Angelo Russell has consistently been our best playmaker and AD's best pick-and-roll partner. D'Angelo Russell has consistently hit big and timely shots in the clutch. It doesn't matter, again, if it doesn't happen throughout the whole game because D'Angelo, just by virtue of the team that he's on, has to pick his spots. That's what tertiary guys do. It doesn't matter how or when it happens as long as it happens. And for D'Angelo Russell, Tommy, it has happened. The Lakers are 5-0 and when D'Angelo Russell scores 17-plus points. But more yeah. importantly, they are 5-0 and when D'Angelo Russell shoots more than 11 times. I don't even care about the percentage because there are some games where he shot below 40% when, when he shot over 11 shots, but it didn't matter because it just meant that he was being aggressive. And for the rest of the team, that's a good thing. 17 points, 6 assists, leads the Lakers in 3-pointers made, 2nd in 3-point percentage behind Rui, 1st in assists, third in scoring. He's essentially doing exactly what he did in the regular season in the playoffs, Tommy. So what's inconsistent about it? Yeah, I think a lot of what happens with D'Lo is is two things. I think one, the nature of his game is not like, <clears throat> he's not John Morant. So when, when you have a guy like John Morant, right, or like an explosive guard, it's sort of easy to like impute effort because the guy is like running at blazing fast speeds and jumping super high. And you could just, I think for fans, it's easier to be like, okay, well, you know, you know, that guy is, that guy's trying really hard. D'Angelo's game is so controlled and contained that it sometimes looks like he's lackadaisical. I think that mm -hmm. is one creates like a bias. I think two, there's like a prime priming effect here, right? Like D'Lo historically had not played very well in the playoffs. Two of his first three quote unquote playoff games, I'm counting basically the, the play in game and then his first two games of Memphis in two of those three games, he did not play very well. Mm -hmm. So I think people got that on, you know, again, like, OK, we already thought he wasn't going to play well because of his his past. He didn't look good in the two of those three. We've now played seven actual playoff games and he's good in five. He's been like good in five out of seven and by the way one of the ones that he i'm not characterizing as good he had 11 points 10 assists and no yes. turnover one turnover and so it's that's, like that's the one where he got pulled in the third quarter along with yeah AD too so. oh yeah yeah and that's the one that you know yeah he shot four for 11 but nobody could hit a shot that night so you know that like we got smoked by memphis that game so it, it's like 
he's actually played like very, very well. I mean, this guy was not brought here to replace LeBron James as the number two option. This Mm -hmm. guy was brought here to be a number three option. If you can get a number three option in the playoffs to hit five out of seven games, you're going to do very well in the playoffs. That like, I, I think again, people like kind of forget how inconsistent guys can be. AD had an up and down first round, yeah, right? Yeah, you can so arguably like, say offensively, <laughs> D'Angelo Russell has been as consistent or as inconsistent as Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Exactly, you know, but the fact that, you know, notwithstanding, you know, the maybe arguably shaky start to the playoffs, he finished the Memphis series scoring 17 a game, 44% from the field, which again, for a perimeter shooting guard is quite good, 37% from three on high volume. Like these are the stat. Oh, in a three to one effective, you know, effectively a three to one assist to turnover ratio mm-hmm. in that series. So it's like these are the stats that like anybody would want out of a point guard next to LeBron and AD. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like D'Lo's kind of, you know, his and his theatrics on the court, like rub some people the wrong way. I personally think it's hilarious. I always thought <laughs> he was, you know, when he was a younger player, I thought like, you know, okay, this guy maybe needs to take it more seriously. But now that he's like sort of established himself as like a veteran in this league, like when he does his stuff, like he doesn't taunt the other team. He doesn't like, he doesn't do that. Like, you know, Jordan Poole, like stroking the ivories crap. He's a like, hype he, man for his own team. He's just like a hype man for his own team, and it's amusing to me. Okay, and it doesn't yeah. like it doesn't impact the rest of his game. And I just he, if you told anyone listening to this podcast that the Lakers were seven games into the playoffs and AD and LeBron were each averaging twenty two a game, everybody would be like, okay, so we lost Game Seven in the first round. I don't even know how we made it to Game Seven. <laughs> frankly, you know what I mean. Yeah. If you told us that like three weeks ago, did anybody think we all know how AD and LeBron did in the bubble, uh, the bubble run, and like how that sort of like le- led us to a championship? Both of those guys are scoring substantially lower than what they did back then. Um, it was a tough defensive series, but frankly, they're both especially LeBron efficiency is like way lower, way worse than it was back then. And the only reason we're winning these games is because we have guys like D'Lo and Austin stepping up on the perimeter and consistently playing very well. I mean, beyond like the scoring last night, again, D'Lo six to one assisted turnover. So yeah, he's doing all these things. He's competing defensively. I think like, that's another thing. Like, there are Trey Young is a way worse defensive player than like D'Angelo Russell. When <laughs> yes. we got D'Angelo Russell, like everybody acted like we were getting Trey Young defensively. Like he at least competes. Like he's not going to be, uh, you know, Pat Bev or in his prime or you know some guy out there you want throwing throwing him out there on the point of attack. But like he is doing a fantastic job, like chasing these shooters, like understanding the golden state offense. And, you know, he kind of developed as a defender, what I had hoped for him when he was a, you know, first year, second year player with the Lakers, which is you're not, you're never going to have the athleticism, although that's gotten better since that time, but you're never going to have the athleticism to keep up with the most elite perimeter players on the, in the NBA, because most players are not able to do that. Right. But like, you have to learn how to be smart and that's what he's learned. And frankly, that's going to carry him deep into his career because, you know, defense is effort, but it's also like being smart and knowing where to position yourself. And he's just done a great job uh, at that. So far, the one thing I'd like to see him improve on next game is his defense on Jordan pool. I, I did think that like he disrespected pool a little bit yeah. at times, but um, honestly, some of that was just pool making his Jordan pool lucky shots. Like this is, what this guy does, right? Like he'll shoot two for 11 from three. And then the next game he'll have like, he'll be shooting like off one foot, like falling down with one arm and it'll just go in every time. So that, that's what we got last night. And, and, uh, hopefully D'Lo can, um, can clean that up a little bit, but otherwise he's just, he's been amazing this year. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's, it's just, I think when people get frustrated with D'Lo's defensive lapses, it's because some of his defensive mistakes are louder like the and one where he fouls a three-point shooter and they hit it, you know, against Jordan Poole or he misses Clay Thompson. But if you look in the aggregate at his performance, he's actually trying out there. And he even got a block on Kevon Looney on the help. He got a strip. You know, people forget that D'Angelo Russell is like 6'4", 6'5". He's tall and he's big and that helps him out even without the, you know, athleticism. So I totally agree with you. Great playoff 
series by by D'Angelo Russell, him beating the allegations. If you had told us eight years ago when we started this podcast, Tommy, that D'Angelo Russell would, you know, be doing this kind of stuff for the Lakers, well, we actually would have believed you because we believed in D'Angelo Russell back then, ayo. Um, but actually, it's it's still kind of unbelievable. Okay, to close this episode, let's quickly talk about LeBron James. I think LeBron James just needs to, at this point, and I really do think it's more the foot issue than his age in general. He needs to get surgery on this foot, and it's affecting his jump shots, and he keeps trying to force it. But he has still been tremendous defensively. I think LeBron just needs to totally embrace this mega Draymond slash mega Iguodala role for this team. I agree. Tommy. He had several block shots on Curry and Poole layups that were huge. In the post, LeBron can still dominate. Again, in semi-transition transition, LeBron is still a force to be reckoned with. And then as the off-ball player and cutter, just lob it to him. He can still catch it. That's when LeBron James can all of a sudden look like he's 25 years old, right? Whether it's that like reverse dunk that he had uh, in Memphis or that lob that he put down on Austin Reeves or not on Austin Reeves, from Austin Reeves. He just needs the space and he can't do it off his own dribble anymore just because of his foot injury and every everything that he's had to deal with this season. He's just sloppy with the ball, sloppy with his passes in the half court. So yeah, if he can more fully embrace this Draymond Iguodala role and stop hunting for the hero ball three, I think we'll be much better for it. So your last thoughts on LeBron James. I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think like, you know, and LeBron has to get a little bit smarter about this because he's had now, I'm, I'm trying to count them, one, two, three, four, f- four out of the seven games um, that we've played in the postseason. He's shot like one for seven, eight, nine. Um, you know, something in that range. Right. So like he has got, in my opinion, he's got to get a little bit smarter about like when his perimeter shot is not falling. I mean, to his credit, I will say his first like two or three last night, he got tapped. Um, they were pretty close. He had like one or two spin out and then a, a couple others that were like right online that looked good and then missed. And then by the end of the game, he was just bricking them. Right. But I think he needs to like get a little smarter about that. Like he, he's clearly recognizing that he is not as, he's still one of the best players in the NBA. And we don't get me wrong. We still need him to score over 20 a night to have any chance, but like it, we don't need him to be taking, 25 shots a game every night anymore um and last night you know nine for 24 i thought like you know when it when the offense sort of stalled in the fourth quarter and and we sort of played into kind of what you know golden state likes to do he just settled way too much um Mm -hmm. for perimeter shots and and yeah i think like you said he's he's much better suited and like a draymond type role and instead of just settling for these shots, close the gap a little bit. I mean, he had like some of those play, like due to Draymond, what he does to us, I think like what part of what makes Draymond a hard cover is like, yeah, you don't defend him on the three, but he's not an idiot. He doesn't shoot eight a game, right? Like he just takes the ball, he closes the space, and then he sort of forces you to step up. And then not only does he force you to step up, he distracts everybody else. So it opens up like a lot of like off, but like back cutting, um, if we can incorporate some of that with LeBron, I think that will do everyone a big service instead of, you know, sort of relying on LeBron to create off the dribble on the pick and roll or to create, you know, out of the post. Because like you said, he's just like, because of the way that teams are defending him now and because his, you know, he's clearly dealing with something with the foot, although they're, you know, not really talking about it anymore. Like he's just, he's not able to make some of the same plays offensively, not just as a scorer, but as a passer that he used to be able to do. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that the Lakers have some sort of facsimile of what the Warriors are, where it's crazy that we're talking about LeBron James as Draymond Green, by the way. I'll say a fusion of Dre and and Iguodala, but it's almost like in the aggregate, LeBron, D'Lo, and Austin Reeves, I know my comments are going to get misconstrued somehow, but Austin Reeves and D'Lo are essentially playing the Clay and Steph role. I'm not saying they're Clay and Steph, okay? But in the aggregate, the, the trio of LeBron as, as Draymond Green and Austin Reeves as Clay and D'Lo as Curry is kind of an interesting parallel to Draymond Green, Curry, and Clay, right? 
The big thing that the Warriors don't have, though, is Anthony Davis, right? That's our biggest advantage. But in some respects, in the aggregate, LeBron James, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell kind of equals Draymond Green, Curry, and Clay, where Curry and Clay are clearly better than D'Lo and Austin Reeves, but LeBron James is clearly better than Draymond Green, right? And then the one huge, huge swing factor is Anthony Davis on our end. And then for the Warriors, I think their swing piece could be Andrew Wiggins, maybe? with a little bit of Kevon Looney, but it's just interesting to look at the teams in that way because there are some similarities, but also pretty big differences as well. So we'll see what happens game two. Um, obviously, it kind of feels like a scheduled loss, but I, I don't know what to expect from this Lakers team anymore. They've been locked in for so many games that I also wouldn't be surprised if they somehow kept it close and then at the very end, just try and steal another one. But we'll see whether they have the fumes and the gas to keep it going. Um, hopefully they just shoot better in general, and we'll, we'll see where we go from there. But I'm very... It's been a fun playoff ride, and it's been a fun last couple of months to sort of cover and, and watch this team in such a such a difference from the first half of this season. So, um, yeah, on to game two we go. With that said, we will catch you guys later. Tommy, I will see you later. Peace. Miss Liddy. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly. An AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write. So I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document. Making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.